0: In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he makes this incredible statement. He says to them in Galatians 4.17, Those people, speaking of the false teachers, are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided this purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Let me read that last line again. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, agony, until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. End quote. What I want for you, and every time I take this podium to teach, what I want for you, what I long for you to possess, is the the realization that you are being worked upon by divine power That God is at work in you, conforming you into the image of His Son in thought, word, and deed. Anybody that tells you, or anybody who thinks, that Christianity is a box you check so that your ticket is punched for heaven when you die is missing the point. God's purpose in sending His Son into the world was to establish a new standard for humanity. To reveal to the world His character, His holiness, His glory in His Son, and to reveal what it means to be truly human. And then to go to the cross, atone for the sins whom the Father had called to be in fellowship with his son so that they could be united to him in his death and resurrection by the Spirit and become like him. So the goal of God in your life is to make you like Jesus. That's what he's doing, even this moment. You need not wonder what God is doing in your life. Now, I realize that life gets big, especially if you're married, when you have children, or you have grandchildren even, you have career responsibilities, you have a house to maintain, you have rent to pay, cars break down, life happens. And there may be times when you wonder, what is God doing in my life? Perhaps you're reaching middle age. Perhaps you're in your 40s or 50s, and you're beginning to question whether or not you have really fulfilled God's purpose in your life. Those are the kind of things that happen to every one of us. Those are the kind of questions that every one of us asks at some point along the journey. But one question you need never wonder about is this. One question you need never ask is, what is God doing in my life? Because I can promise you right now, it's as simple as this. He's making you like Jesus, and He's using everything that comes at you, everything that comes at you to do that. God causes all things to work together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. What is that purpose? That purpose is to conform you into the image of his son. To make you like Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the Christian life. You are more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. You're just not as much as you will be tomorrow. And God is using every single situation in your life, especially the trials and tribulations and circumstances that have otherwise would leave you feeling victimized, would cause you to wonder whether God's even with you, James tells us that we should instead count them as joy, knowing that the testing of our faith produces steadfast faith, steadfast um, faith in perseverance. So what is God doing in your life? He's conforming you into the image of His Son. And that's what Paul is telling these uh, people in Galatia. He's telling them that they are getting sidetracked. So what's the greatest obstacle to Christ being formed in you? It isn't those godless liberals. It isn't the Right wing fanatics, it isn't the threat of economic collapse, it isn't whether or not you're going to be laid off, whether your spouse is going to leave you, whether one of your children may fall ill. What is the greatest obstacle to you being conformed into the image of his son? It isn't addiction. Though that's bad, it isn't uh, ill health, it isn't loss of fortune. I think you get my point. It isn't any of those things. It isn't any of those things that we typically think of as obstacles to a happy, functional life. What's, What's really the greatest obstacle to you fulfilling God's purpose in your life is... The presence of a false gospel being preached by false ministers and advanced by the angel of light, otherwise known as Satan himself. And I know you've probably heard me say this before, but we are at a time in in history, church history, where this has become the norm and the greatest danger, my friend. My greatest danger to you, my brother and sister, is that you are going to just fall into the rut of the normative path of some super apostle, some celebrity preacher, whose teaching actually pulls you away from Christ so that you begin reflecting the character of the teacher or the teacher's, instead of the character of Christ. That's, that is the problem. That's the obstacle. It took me tw- 25 years for me to realize that myself. And I'm not going back there for nobody. And I want that for you. Because let me tell you, learning to walk in the Spirit of Christ, learning to rock, walk in His footprints, down that narrow road is so much surpassing value to any of things that these counterfeit preachers and teachers and gospels and even spirit uh, counterfeit spirit promote. But you have to be aware of it. If you're naive to it, if you think that these guys with big churches and big budgets and big mouths... <laughs> <laughs> and big agendas, and big book deals, and big, if you think that following some super apostle is going to make you happy, you're you're kidding yourself. Or that's what it means to be a Christian. You're kidding yourself. And that's what was happening in Galatia. These guys had come in and began to preach and teach and say that Paul was a, not a good apostle. He was only preaching a, 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 um, what would be the word a non-approved gospel that they were from Jerusalem these guys came in saying we're from Jerusalem we've got the credentials we've got the approval this guy this guy paul he's from antioch you have to understand that that we are the ones with the real gospel And the real gospel says that you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the holy days, you have to follow the dietary laws. In other words, there's always something. Christ is always insufficient in himself. They preach Christ, they teach Christ, they they say they believe in Christ, they say all the right things, except they have a little twist at the end of it. And there's always something that's required of you to complete the circle. It's a man-centered gospel. It only takes one fly to ruin the ointment, beloved. It only takes a little bit of leaven to leaven the whole lump. And if you think for a minute that Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection are sufficient 99% of the time, but there's a 1% factor, some vital necessary contribution that you must make in order to secure your salvation then you're following the false gospel. And what would that be today? Well, it'd be tithing. It'd be thinking that you are in Christ because of some free will choice that you made. Your giving record, your attendance record, being on some committee, being an elder, being a part of the leadership team, being part of the worship team, whatever, whatever. Tithing is probably the biggest one these days. So we have our own version of all of this, is my point. This, was ha- this is what was happening in the first century. And Paul is saying to the Galatians that he is in childbirth. He's he's in agony until Christ is formed in them. What did the apostle Paul want? He wanted Christ to be formed in their character, in their thinking. They want. He wanted them to think like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to feel like Jesus, to participate in his sufferings, to participate in his character. And these guys were coming along and saying, "No, no, no, no! Oh, it's it's about doing this or this or that or that or the other thing." See, it's every every diversion from the gospel is a minimization of Jesus. Jesus is is never presented as an all sufficient Savior. And being conformed into His image is as the all overriding purpose of the Christian life. It's always about something else. So C- Paul is concerned that Christ be formed in them. Well, the reason I'm harping on this again <clears throat> is because it's, it's, it continues to be so prevalent. And it is. I see it in our counseling offices. I see people who have just been sucked into this, to this vortex of, uh, of evangelicalism that has become so worldly, so uh, entrenched with celebrity pastors and and super apostles that, that they, they they don't even know what Christianity is anymore. Let me ask you, if you were to ask a close Christian friend of yours, what is what is God doing in your life? What would they tell you? Oh, he's he's blessing me. He's I got a new job or he's blessing me. I got a new car. He's, uh, you know, he's showing me I should be a missionary Rarely will you ever meet a Christian who understands that the primary work of God in his or her life is conforming them into the image of Jesus. And beloved, that's where life really happens. That's where life really begins. That's where life takes on the depth and the breadth and the richness and makes it worth living, is to know and to see and experience in your life In your character, in your thinking, in your prayer life, in the way you relate to others, especially others in the church, that you're becoming more like Jesus as he's revealed in the Gospels, not as he's revealed in some silly series called The Chosen or the movies and the movie theaters and the. uh, Oh my goodness. The Jesus revolution, really? Or the Jesus gets us campaign that's popular on TV these days. We, don't, we need to look to the Gospels. We need to look to the text of Scripture and, and, and prayerfully that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts and minds so that we have the eyes to see Jesus and seeing him behold the image of God in him and be transformed into his image. So, what I want to do for the balance of my time with you today, and in the coming few episodes, I want to talk with you about Paul's struggles in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. It's a very personal letter. Paul loves the Corinthians, but they don't love him back. These are people that whom Paul had preached to, they had had a genuine conversions. And yet, these Jewish itinerant preachers had come in to him, just like they did in Galatia, followed Paul in, and they began to diss Paul and say, "Well, you know, look at him. He's poor. He's 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 unimpressive. He doesn't speak well. He doesn't charge for his preaching. He's really he just shows you what is what he's worth because he doesn't even charge you for his preaching. He's not eloquent. He doesn't have the right credentials." And then, so the Corinthians are beginning to follow these super apostles. They're, they're, they're beginning to withdraw from Paul and withdraw, withdraw their affections from Paul and beginning to follow these super apostles. And so what I want to help you see in Second Corinthians is the character and the identifying marks of these super apostles. Because it is more likely than not today, beloved, that you are under the influence of one of these super apostles today. And these men, even some who are well-intended, are following a model of ministry that is condemned within the New Testament, that opposed Paul, and ultimately crucified Christ. And yet today is a model of ministry that emphasizes wealth, fame, power. And you'll see that. And this is nothing new. What I want to show you is in 2 Corinthians, it's nothing new. So Paul has begun this letter, and he he begins in verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That's the basis of this letter, is suffering in ministry by which we grow in Christ. After all, we follow a crucified Savior, and if we're going to follow him, We're going to follow him down that narrow path, a path that's so narrow, there's only room for one set of footprints, and those footprints are blood-stained footprints. See, this already, you're probably uncomfortable, because you've been told for a long time now that Jesus came and died and rose again so that you could have your best life now. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel has so filtered into even conservative evangelicalism that you would think that that's what it's all about. But what Paul is going to say in this letter, he's saying to these Corinthians that his suffering as an apostle is indicative for those who have been taken captive by Christ. That God has subdued the rebellion of humanity and taken us captive so that we might have life. We were once God's enemies, but He has taken us captive. He has, through the cross, He has subdued our rebellion. And in the resurrection, we have a new creation that has begun in the person of Jesus Christ. And that all of God's intentions for humanity have been fulfilled in Jesus. And one day will be ultimately fully realized in humanity in a new heaven, a new earth. Redemption will be fully realized one day. So we're in a now and not yet status, but... Nonetheless, God's purpose has been fulfilled in Jesus and his cross. But here's the crux of the matter. Paul is saying, I'm following a crucified, rejected Savior. The super apostles are saying, I'm following a well-credentialed, well well healed wide path with... (laughs) Fame and wealth and power, human power, as the means. And so we come to over and over again in the New Testament to this crossroads. Who are you following? And you know who you're following. You can tell by your leaders, and you can tell by your character. Are you growing in the character of Jesus Christ? And so what we're going to be doing in the next coming episodes... We're going to be looking at the second letter to the Corinthians. We're going to do something of an overview. But we're going to be identifying the ministry and character of Paul as opposed to the ministry and character of the super apostles. And this will be very challenging for some of you. This will be very challenging to understand that chances are you are under a ministry now that is more than likely has far more in common with the super apostles than it does the ministry of Paul. And that will be your first hint. That will be your first sign that you have some work to do. You have some self-examination to do, just as he says at the end of this letter. You have some self-examination to do, to see if you are in the faith. Or you just follow some normative business model in a church scene. That is popular and big and fun and wealth power fame celebrity preachers it's all part of the stick. it's all part of the scheme and it's all designed to pull you away from christ and christ being formed in you what we will learn in the first overview the first episode we will learn that the leading characteristic of the super-apostles is that they relied upon themselves. They rely upon their own natural gifts, their own natural abilities, their own natural resources, their own uh, ability to be credentialed and and be uh, good, eloquent oratory. These are the kind of things that they rely upon. Their charm, their personality, their credentials. The things that wow people in the world. And when they wow us in the church, we're in trouble. And Paul says, no, no, no. No, I'm a suffering apostle because I'm following a crucified Savior. And the only way to the resurrection, the only way to be assured of the resurrection is that you don't come anyway but through the cross. And that's what the super apostles are trying to help you avoid is having to come through the cross, through the way of the cross, the death to self, the taking up the cross and following Jesus. And the super apostles say, no, no, you don't have to do that. You can believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven when you die, you can have all the benefits of believing in Jesus and you don't have to go through the cross. Just believe in Jesus and do things as we tell you to do and you'll be fine. Paul is saying, nope. Death to self, death to the ego is the primary means by which we experience in this life the power of the resurrection of Christ as well. In fact, I'll close with this. He says in chapter 1, the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope, that He will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers." So there you go. That's the first point. Paul had a God-reliant ministry. He relied upon the power of God To preach the gospel through him, in him, by him. Whereas the super apostles were self reliant, they were reliant upon the ways of the world, schemes, programs, marketing, music. You know the drill. And it's time that we do as the apostle tells us to do here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and that is renounce the hidden things of shame. Renounce these hucksters who peddle the word of God for profit. And they are so subtle, and they come across so pious. Some of these Sunday morning programs are so pious sounding, and they give you good little Bible lessons. And then they sell you one of their devotionals or one of their latest books for your gift offering of only 25 dollars this week you can have our latest book see how it works <laughs> hope you stick with me hope you come back what i want again is for you to be formed into the image of christ and what i'm trying to say very clearly to you as i close is that the greatest obstacle to christ being formed in you is getting caught up in some kind of phony celebrity prosperity wealth health power loving comfort loving ministry that calls itself christian but is anything but amen